This week on A Lively Experiment, another vacancy opens up on the Rhode Island Supreme Court, giving Governor Raimondo some flexibility in her choices. And the state is telling everyone to take it outside. We speak with the owners of one local restaurant adapting to running a business during the pandemic. A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by for more than 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazenwhite Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program in Rhode Island PBS. Joining us on the panel, attorney and former prosecutor Eva Marie Mancuso, Keith Stokes, vice president of the 1696 Heritage Group, and former state representative Dan Riley. Hello everyone, I'm Jim Hummel and welcome to this week's Lively. Well, President Trump contracts COVID and the vice presidential candidate spar in a debate Wednesday night. We'll have a little bit on that later. But first, it looks like uh, Rhode Island's not going to get the federal budget lifeline that it, that it is hoping for, if it gets one at all, until after the election. And that makes for some very difficult decisions going forward Dan, you have sat in that chamber, and I think one of the problems, let's start with you, one of the problems is we have not made the difficult decisions over the years. So the state was starting in a budget hole. Now it looks like it's approaching a billion dollars. The governor still has not done any layoffs furlough program, and so uh, I don't know what's going to happen, but it looks like we're going to be in a pinch. That's right, and we certainly already are. I think that the expectation amongst the assembly and the governor's office is that it's not as bad of a problem as it was during the Great Recession because the federal government is likely going to come in with some level of support that they just didn't provide in the past. Uh, but obviously that's a big if, and the longer it takes for a deal to come together in Washington, uh, the longer we go uh, without a budget. And what that means, at, you know, as a matter of law, uh, we continue to use last year's budget, but if we don't have the money to pay for last year's budget, we still have a deeper and deeper hole. So at some point, the assembly is going to have to come back and start to make at least interim decisions that may be reversed in the future, uh, but nevertheless allow us to start clawing our way out of this. Yeah, Eva, I have uh, asked the governor repeatedly, it's no vendetta against state workers. You worked as a prosecutor for years, but we could have saved a lot of money. And I think there was a miscalculation that a lot of this money, the Congress was going to do something May, June, July, August, all of a sudden we're going to be after November. I think it's going to be a world of hurt for a lot of state employees and organizations if they don't get that federal money. I think she has to start releasing more of that CARES Act money um, now to help small businesses to keep our economy going and to continue on a path. I think we'll get a stimulus at some point. So I know she's being very conservative about the money. As far as laying off people, I think that um, I, I agree with her with her um, conversation that she's had so far. And that is why add to the unemployment? Why add to more people that are on the rolls? Um, we need to have government still has to work. And um, she doesn't want to add to the unemployment number. She doesn't want to add to the people that are in pain, people that are suffering already uh, by putting more people on the rolls. So I think it's a really, really tough balance, Jim. I just wish, you know, Washington would get their, get their head out of there, you know what, and get moving. Come on. 
You know, um, these are real people with real issues. We need help now, not in November, not in January, right now. Keith, you know, Governor Raimondo, in my sense, has been consistent that if Congress and the president did not pass a second stimulus bill, Rhode Island's deficit would grow significantly and she'd be forced into the worst scenarios of layoffs of state workers and cuts to social services. And that really impacts our most vulnerable populations have already been hit by this COVID uh, pandemic. Uh, on a positive note, uh, she and the legislature have set aside a $300 million line of credit, you know, to cover some of the cash flow issues. So that's one option. But, but ultimately, this is not a state of Rhode Island issue. This is not a Governor Raimondo issue. It is an issue facing each and every state and city in the country. The president and Congress have a moral and political obligation to work out their differences ASAP and pass a second federal stimulus package. D, uh, Keith, let me ask you as a follow-up question. There has been a lot of discussion about that CARES Act money, whether more of it should be going to small businesses. I know in your former life, you dealt with a lot of this from a state uh, standpoint. What do you think about that holding on to it in case the other stimulus doesn't come versus getting more of it out the door now? Because some people have said, if, if the businesses don't get it, they're going to go under and then there goes your right. tax revenue. Have you? What have you thought about that, uh, that balance? I mean, I'm, I'm working with and I'm, a number of chambers around the state and business organizations, and it's a great concern, particularly that service, hospitality, small-based business on Main Street. Um, there have been programs that have been out on the street. There have been some effective programs. It's not enough. Um, I think the challenge is, is there's a balance here. There's a balance between uh, what the governor has taken as a conservative approach uh, in making sure that if, for whatever reason, there's a delay in stimulus, federal stimulus funding, that there are resources locally to keep ourselves afloat. Um, on the other hand, there are some programs in place, and we can talk about that later, particularly the Back to Work RI and Take It Outside, you know, that I think have been very effective, and I've worked on both programs. Eva? Yeah, I, I agree with you, Keith. I mean, my, my kudos today, I'll, I'll uncover it now, is Dale Venerini and the Hospitality Association for just thinking so creatively about ways to keep people supporting their organizations out there, um, what have you. I know um, my husband and I go out to eat quite frequently and uh, I feel completely safe. Uh, people are taking all of the protocols and they're doing everything. And so I, I really give kudos to the hospitality industry for doing what they have to do. Having said that, they need more help. They need more help now, now. Um, uh, what bothers me a little bit about um, Governor Raimondo's approach is that lack of urgency. You know, just kind of hold on, just kind of wait. And um, I've I've listened um, many times to the Small Business Pod that um, podcast that um, Lieutenant Governor McKee does. And you know, I'm listening to people say, I I don't know how I'm going to get through next week, and I need help now. So. Um, that sense of urgency, I think I can really hear and it resonates with me that we need to make decisions um, because the federal government isn't. So release more of the CARES Act. Uh, let's let's try to do it one day at a time and uh, and move forward. Speaking of the Take It Outside campaign, I sat down with the owners of Shea Pascal Restaurant in Providence, Kristen and Matt Genuso, and they've been coming up like many restaurant owners with creative ways to stay in business. In March, they didn't shut down. They actually just ramped up their takeout business and they didn't take it outside immediately. They closed down for about a month in July and then they ramped it up in August. So I sat down with them this week to talk about what are you going to do now that it looks to be getting colder? Here's some of what they said. We've had so many 
day ones, I think, since this started. Even though we've been doing this for 17 years, every day just brings a whole new challenge. And Matt and I, overnight, we just put up a whole platform of online food. We were surprised by the response on that first day we did it for takeout through email and through ordering online. And I think the response is what really made us realize that there are people out there that will help support us and are interested in what we're doing. And they were so grateful to have that sense of security and safety in food. And just like that act of handing the food out the window to them and them being so grateful and um, pleasant and lovely. It was just, it was such a beautiful experience. In the winter, when it's cold, hopefully snow, we're gonna have like after ski parties. Matt is gonna make these like one pot hearty meals where you come and you sit in your little chair and you eat like this super hearty stew of some sort that kind of warms you up as if you were like in Switzerland. Kristen came up with an idea of having uh, an old friend, customer, and um, a piano player, Mark Tabor, play music for the guests outside. He sits in the back of his pickup, completely isolated, but it's just something to add to customers as they're sitting outside. It's creative gimmicks. I mean, you need them. If we didn't have the assistance from the PPP, from the Idle Loan, from the grant from Rhode Island, from the Hospitality Association, I could be telling you a completely different story, but right now we are super fortunate that we had all of those resources available to us. There is more assistance that's gonna be needed to help these small businesses. There definitely is, and however that happens, we will hopefully be able to take advantage of it in any way that we can. Keith, the governor was down your way. I noticed she took a little Newport tour to do the Take It Outside. They're fortunate. They are, they, they are set up to be able to do this. But my fear is a lot of these businesses, especially down your way, Newport's taking such a hit this summer, are really going to be challenged. So I, I, I wonder what the vibe is down there as we get colder and colder as the weeks go by. You know, what I'm hearing and I'm, I'm seeing firsthand is, is that, you know, the Take It Outside is an innovative approach. Um, it's going to be interesting how it's um, implemented in the fall, particularly the winter months. Um, I'm particularly happy, as Eva said, that the grants are targeting municipalities, chambers, around hospitality association to really help implement all the different either programs or amenities that are needed to be successful. But I think what's also important to recognize is that not every restaurant or entertainment or small services on a main street uh, and may not have access to opening up either streets or parking areas for additional seating. So, so there also needs on a local level some flexible zoning regulations to really encourage utilization of outside areas. Um, and I'm hoping that particularly municipalities will be creative in applying this. As an example in Newport, we've got a great restaurant in the downtown and they've had a partnership this summer and early fall with Bank Newport who opened up their parking lot to allow them to expand their table services and for takeout delivery, and it's a great partnership. So um, it's absolutely essential that we have as much flexibility and not only grant dollars, but flexibility in zoning and policies to allow all businesses to equally have access to outdoor venues. So when I look at that, I say, this is the time when we have to say, how can we help? How can we do it? Not what regulation can we put up to stop you from doing it? So when you hear things like partnerships, I live in East Greenwich, um, they've closed down uh, Main Street uh, one day a week, and I think it's even up to two days a week now, so that we can set up tables in the middle of the street, just like they're doing on Federal Hill. And it's wonderful. The vibe is great. People are happy. Um, you know, they're social distancing, but at least you're getting to see your neighbors and your friends um, in a social environment. So it works because our, our municipal leaders are saying, 
how do we make it happen rather than how do we put up obstacles? So I totally agree with you, Keith, that, that this is a time for us to say, what can we do to help? It really can make government shine at a time when it's most needed for our small businesses and for our individuals. Dan? No, I, I was going to say the same thing. Um, you know, it's been great to see local municipalities all the way up to the state really relax regulations or rethink regulations when it comes to uh, how businesses are able to open and expand onto streets and have outdoor dining and things that they otherwise would have had to go through all this red tape for. Other changes like allowing restaurants to sell alcohol in takeout orders. We did that. Imagine that fight in any other year and all of the people that would have showed up to the takeout. But we were able to get it done. And look, the world didn't end. It's amazing how some of these deregulatory measures can work. And it's important we keep this going because as much as we can expand some outdoor dining, we're getting into winter. Uh, we're getting to fall and then winter. And it's going to be very difficult, even if restaurants are able to expand. So we need to do everything we can to listen to them in particular and, and ask them, what can we do to make it easier? Is it hours? Is it licenses? What can we do to try to relieve some pressure? It's not going to bring you back to normal. You know, we have to understand that and they certainly, but what other changes can we make to make their lives a little easier to help them get through this? Keith, what was the, give me a feel for what the summer season was like down there. Last time I had you on, we were talking a little bit about that. Newport lost a lot, but it seemed like there was some creativity going on to try to bring people in. Yeah, it, Newport was busy. I mean, it was clearly busy with a lot of what we call day trippers. Lots of people who were trying to get out of the house and get into the car and take a day trip. So we saw lots of that activity. My only concern was is that uh, from, my, from my sense, there were a lot of visitors who were not wearing masks and following proper social distancing protocols. Um, and I think that begs the question of um, what's the fall going to be? Are we going to see an uptick or, or a spike in positive cases because of this, this lack of um, a sense of, again, uh, safety? So I think the sense in Newport that I've heard and I've seen physically is, is that, you know, we're trying to do everything we can uh, to get back to work, to back to normalcy. Uh, I think Dan raises a very important point. Uh, the world is going to change forever after we get out of this COVID pandemic crisis. And I think we have an opportunity to make government more responsive and more flexible and more supportive to particularly small businesses by beginning to take some of the rules and regs that have been relaxed and innovatively applied and continue them as a stated policy going forward. And these businesses are going to need this level of assistance more than ever once things calm down. All right. Big changes on the uh, Rhode Island Supreme Court. We've already had uh, Justice Indalia announce months ago that he was going to be retiring just this uh, week. Frank Flaherty, you remember him as the uh, former mayor of Warwick, and he ran for governor many years back in 1990. He's been on the court all of a sudden since 2003. He says he wants to spend a little more time in retirement. That's fine. Eva, uh, we just learned overnight that the five finalists for the first position are there, including expected Melissa Long, uh, Senator Aaron Lynch, former Senator uh, Lynch, Aaron, Aaron Lynch Prada, um, and three others. So I wonder what you're thinking as this heads toward, now the governor has two choices, so it gives her a little bit of flexibility in terms of being able to expand and maybe change the, the face of the court. Well, you know, I was thinking how excited I am that Governor Raimondo is going to have these picks and not President Trump, right? So I had, uh, you know, I, I had this little dichotomy in my brain about how upset I was when um, 
when Ruth Bader Ginsburg died and we had that opening in the Supreme Court. And when Frank Flaherty announced that he would retire, I was excited about that. He's a wonderful guy. He deserves every minute. He's given back to our state in ways that people in a lifetime won't give back. So um, good luck to him. But yeah, we have imminently qualified uh, to serve on the Supreme Court. And we we have five now before the governor and there's, you know, there's probably another dozen people that would be great. So uh, I'm excited that Governor Raimondo is going to have these picks. I think that she'll do it deliberately and thoughtfully. And, um, and that's really all I can say. I think it's important to have people of color, but I think it's important to have people that are, that are, um, that have a wealth of experience as well. And I think Melissa Long would be a great addition to the court. But I also think that, that everyone that made the final list would be a great addition to the court. Judge Montabano has done a great job. Uh, Judge Rogers has done a great job. Aaron Lynch Prater is a champion um, for individual rights and, and the rights of those that are downtrodden. So um, I, I don't think you can miss. I don't think you can miss. I think we're going to be blessed with somebody who is just wonderful. Keith? You know, I, I think we can all agree that judges wield immense power. I mean, each day they're making decisions that affect people's livelihoods, our well-being, our fundamental rights. Uh, and I've always believed that in order to function properly, the judicial system needs to have the public trust that the institutions making in this, making decisions uh, that are important and represent those citizens, particularly those from diverse backgrounds. Uh, the demographics of our city, of our state, and our country are changing rapidly and our public service systems have to reflect the populations that they serve. Um, so I believe diversity adds an overall value to the judiciary system. Uh, I believe the inclusion of judges of different backgrounds and walks of life results in more thoughtful and balanced decisions. And I think the governor is headed in the right direction. I think we've got some really great choices in women and men uh, who equally have accomplished judiciary backgrounds. And, and I think we're headed in the right direction. And I think we're on the right side of history. Dan? Yeah, well, it's really going to be interesting now that there are two openings. Uh, the big question until this week was what was the governor going to do, facing a lot of pressure to put a person of color, put a woman on the bench um, so that there'd be two women on the Supreme Court. Um, and now all of a sudden there are two openings, which, you know, I don't believe in coincidences, especially in politics. So this creates a very convenient situation or more convenient situation for the governor, I should say. Uh, and given how the JNC works, she has a list of very qualified nominees, and she has now, um, under the Kacheri Doctrine, she has the ability to kind of delay this a bit and uh, perhaps name two people simultaneously, uh, either off of that list or start a new process and wait until the JNC has come up with potentially 10 nominees to pick from to perhaps uh, broaden, uh, broaden the choices. So I think this creates more opportunity for the governor. I think this takes some pressure off the governor. I know that the minority leader, Blake Filippi, would like the governor to put his nominee or put his uh, appointee uh, on the JNC. And there are some issues at the state house related to that. But at this point, the, uh, the list of five have been forward. So it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. And of course, this puts a lot of leverage in the hands of the governor who normally doesn't have it vis-a-vis the legislature. So going into the next session, um, how does this affect everything else? All right. I want to get to, uh, I want to, get to the presidential, uh, uh, the vice presidential debates and, of course, President Trump dealing with COVID the last week. But I don't want to short us on outrages. So let's, uh, let's start with those. Eva, do you have an outrage or a kudo this week? Or I know you said a kudo earlier. Have you come up with another one yet? Well, you know I always have two kudos always in the bank. I always have a second one. So 
My second kudo is to Kamala Harris and Mike Pence for giving us a real debate, a discussion, a difference on issues, a difference on philosophy, a difference on tone, and done in a debate format that people could actually sit and listen to. I didn't throw anything at my TV last night <laughs> the whole time. I didn't get upset. I had, you know, and even I wear one of these uh, Fitbit things, so I my blood pressure <laughs> didn't go off the charts. I was able to listen and really discern what the differences were between the two candidates. So that's my kudos. I think that the American people were well served by the debate between the vice presidents, certainly much more than the presidential debate. I don't think there should be another presidential debate. I don't think that you can even talk to Donald Trump, never mind debate with him and talk about the issues. And, you know, and, and quite frankly, um, Trump brings out the worst in Donald and in, uh, in Joe Biden. Um, you know, for him to react the way, for Biden to react the way he did in the debate, that's not who he is. He's not a name caller. He's not, he's not somebody, he brings out the worst in people. Donald Trump brings out the worst in people. So thank you, Mike Pence. And thank you, Kamala Harris for a debate um, that, that was worth watching. Dan, what do you have this week? I have an outrage. It's election silly season. Outrage may be too strong of a word, but this is just one of those dumb things that happened. Uh, about a, two weeks ago, the North Kingstown Independent, the newspaper in North Kingstown, uh, did uh, interviews with all of the town council candidates and then published all of the Democratic candidates in the paper and then attached a note saying, due to space constraints, the Republicans and the independent candidate uh, their responses will be available online. This is the type of thing. Now, I don't read the paper uh, in, in North Kingstown, but I've heard a lot of negative feedback about this. This is just wow. Crazy. Wow. That that's that's amazing. Keith, what do you have this week? Uh, my kudos uh, go back to uh, Governor Raimondo and the Department of Labor and Training for launching the Back to Work uh, Rhode Island program. Um, I'm involved in, in several of the programs. I've seen firsthand the positive training and employment outcomes with this program. It's been particularly targeting um, unemployed and underemployed workers, particularly those in urban cities in some of the high-risk hospitality industries. And it's giving them an opportunity in a very short period of time, because these funds have to be expended by the end of the year, to be trained and placed in full-time positions. So this is a great program. I hope there's an opportunity to continue it um, and build it as a permanent program to deal with long-term unemployment and training opportunities within the state. Beautiful. Thank you. All right, folks, before we get to the uh, the national issues, I want to offer my own outrage and kudo together. Now, you may notice I'm in a little bit different location today. We're on location hosting lively. That's because my outrage is for the second time in two weeks, my power has gone out at my house. It's the third or fourth time this year. It seems like when it rains near my neighborhood that, that somehow National Grid can't figure out how to keep the power on. That is my outrage. My kudos are to my in-laws who are hosting me today in their kitchen. I appreciate that, that they invited me in. Shout out to Bill and Joyce Smith. They were part of the uh, production team of Lively Experiment this morning. So uh, hopefully we'll be back at Shea Hummel uh, next week to be able to. I know we're all in different places. Uh, Eva every week's a little bit different. Keith's got the Keith's got the mask on. It's, it's I love looking at everybody's background, but some people look at me like oh, humble. Where are you today? Well, the power went out. So um, let's go to the. Uh, well, I don't know where to begin. I appreciate what you said about the vice presidential debate, Eva. I thought uh, it was a little bit more civil. I thought Mike Pence kind of steamrolled on the time, but that's sometimes what they do. Dan, let's talk about the president, uh, 
testing positive for COVID. I think of what's happened just in the last week since we taped. When we taped lively, we didn't even know that was going to happen. Now we're not sure about the second debate, but I wonder the concern among the Republicans. I think Trump is, is trailing in the polls, but now it's the Senate that I think they're worried about and, and how his actions are going to face that. So I, I wonder how, how you view that as a Republican, what's going on nationally. Yeah, and that's the big concern. If, if it becomes a wave election as opposed to a, a more standard referendum election on the incumbent, that becomes an issue for down-ballot races that otherwise were stable, maybe had the incumbent Republican in the lead just because there are forces at play uh, that they really lose control over. Um, there's a big question as to Trump's performance with suburban women. He lost that vote uh, with Hillary Clinton. The question is, is Biden going to expand that to potentially 20 points? If it goes that high, that becomes a big problem in a lot of Senate races, among other demographics they're looking at. But I also think it's important to keep in mind, I'm not one to say polling is bad, but, but polling is not always a, a perfect science, especially when it comes to Donald Trump. And I think that when you look at all of the polls, it's clear Biden is in the lead when you look at the averages. But the pollsters would also tell you, because they do live polling as well as internet polling, sometimes with the same people, and they can see that there is a Trump effect. Now, pollsters would typically say it's about maybe three percentage points, maybe a little less. So when you look at the numbers, Biden still has a comfortable lead and especially some of these key states. But it's important to keep in mind that the numbers don't necessarily reflect reality, especially in the polarized climate we're in right now. So I think right now it's advantage Biden-Harris, but I think it's very important to keep in mind this is a crazy year. We've had about 50 news cycles in the last five days, it seems. And anything could happen in the next, you know, 25 plus days or so. All right. We've got about two minutes left. Eva and Keith each take a minute. Eva, you go first. I agree with Dan on the polling aspect. I think that people are a lot more circumspect and they're a lot more guarded about who they talk about because it's so polarizing. I mean, you know, when you say I'm voting for Trump, people have a response to that. So I think people just say, oh, no, I'm voting for Biden. So I'm, I'm not taking one thing for granted. I mean, I think that it's really important that every single person go out and vote and uh, and weigh in. Uh, this is going to be a, a very, very important election, as all elections are. But um, I, I just think we have to change the whole mantra of the country. We can't have this divisive nasty, um, you know, Jerry Springer type administration where everything is just nasty. That's all I can say. Um, what are we teaching our kids? Um, you know, I, I said to uh, my son, I was glad our grandchildren didn't watch the, the first presidential debate um, because what would they have seen? Um, and that's every time I watch Trump on TV, I, I think the same thing. You know, there's ways to disagree, like we're doing here, right? Dan and I, he's a Republican, I'm a Democrat. We can talk issues all day long. It never gets nasty. All right, Eva, and, I got to give, I'm sorry to cut you off. Ahead. I want to give Keith the last 45 seconds. Go ahead, Keith. No, just any president should always lead by example. And we're in the midst of a worldwide pandemic. And to prevent the spread of disease, it has killed more than 210,000 American citizens. Our president and all others in position of public leadership and influence should abide by the clear guidelines developed by the Center of Disease Control. Quarantining, wearing masks, proper social distancing. What we need now is a unified country, and most importantly, a president that will lead by example and lead our citizens out of this pandemic and back into health and prosperity. All right, well said on all 
Folks, uh, it went by quickly. Thank you so much, Eva and Dan and Keith. Great to see you. Good to see you here. Folks, you never know what's going to happen over the next week, but join us back here next week as a lively experiment continues. We'll have it all covered for you. We hope you have a great weekend. Experiment is generously underwritten by. For more than 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazen White Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program and Rhode Island PBS.